Hi, everyone. I just wanted to speak to you about this upcoming podcast. It's about my mom and her impact on my life. And it is with some real sadness that I tell you that she was recently diagnosed with a serious illness that will take her from us much sooner than we had hoped. And so it breaks my heart at the same time that I'm grateful to have an opportunity to celebrate her impact on me with all of you. She's made a huge difference in my life. She's loved me so well, and it's a part of who I am and what I do. And it's very painful to contemplate saying goodbye to her at some point, but I am forever grateful for her willingness to love me wholeheartedly from the moment I was born, through all of my awkward years, through all of uh, my self-doubt, and to be that constant in my life that's just been a tremendous gift. So I am grateful for the opportunity to speak a bit about her life. And um, this was recorded months ago before I knew anything about um, this diagnosis. So um, it was just a opportunity to talk about her impact. Thanks, everyone. Every once in a while in some of your podcasts, you mention your mom and you've talked about her in a way that it's made me really want to come to know her a little bit better. So I wonder if you could just share a few stories mm -hmm. about her. One story that you briefly touched on one time that I that I love is you talked about your mom taking dance lessons. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could share a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, so I want to try hard to like both honor genuinely who my mom is because she's had a very positive impact on my life while keeping her real while not insulting her. Do you know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> That is like sometimes I think we can speak in these like uber glowing terms that actually create a sense of like guilt or maybe I should, I'm not enough, <laughs> you know, or there's like there's, you know, mother the, the, that there's such a thing as the perfect mother. And, you know, so the thing is both are true. My mother's deeply human, as am I, as is everyone. And has blessed my life. And, you know, there were places of pain and difficulty as well, as I know is true with my relationship with my children. So I want to keep it real and truly give the respect that I think is due because um, she has had a huge positive impact on my life and is a lot of what I'm able to do now. So, so dance. Um, well, so my dad passed away about almost three years ago now, it's hard to believe. And um, she, my mom was really involved in his day-to-day -day care. Um, he was quite sick for several years. And so it required a lot of her energy and caregiving excellence. And what I mean by that is my mom really kind of is someone who was built to care for others like that. So she was a very you know, a lot of people have had large families because they should, right? You know, in the era that I was growing up, it was kind yeah. of like you proved, you got status in a sense in the 
church community through the number of children you had. And so I know a lot of women at that time and probably even at present have children as a way of of living out the expectation. But I think for my mom, it actually was something that she loved and you could feel that she loved it as a kid. And I think that alone was truly a gift because even though she was very busy with eight children, I never had the feeling like that she resented our presence or that we were a burden on her life or that she wished it were in any way different. And and that's a gift because to have that kind of mirroring of your value um, is really is really a big deal. So that said, my mom has spent so much of her life in the caretaking frame. And that also, as many caregivers out there know, has its liabilities. It's harder to kind of belong to your own desires and your own um, other endeavors outside of attending to the needs and desires of others. And so, um, so after my dad passed, I think it was really uh, disorienting and grieving in part because, you know, her identity had been really connected to taking care of him for a while. And um, so she went through a year of real grief and, um, and then about a year and a, I'm trying to think about the timing, about a year and a half after he died, uh, she was dropping off a package for me at like UPS or something like that at a strip mall. And right next to the UPS store was a dance studio. And so she was 89 at the time. She just walked in and signed up for classes. I love that. She came home, I know. And she's like, Jennifer, because my husband and I stay with her periodically. And so she came home, she's like, Jennifer, I don't know what I just did, but I just signed up for dance lessons, like (laughs) the waltz and so on. And it was, you know, I think it was my mom choosing to live again, to thrive, not just to survive, not just to say like everything meaningful is over. She was, you know, saying, how am I going to live? And so um, she was, what I really respect in this story is that she was terrified. It was way outside of her comfort zone. It's not like she'd been a dancer and had put it away. She'd never danced, you know, beyond golden green balls when we were growing up, you know. And <laughs> and um, and um, and so it was way outside of her comfort zone, but she did it anyway. And um, and it turned out turns out that she loved it. I mean, still scared and really stretched yeah. her soul in many ways, but she you know, it gave her this outlet where she could go get physical exercise, meet other much younger people who had tremendous respect (laughs) and love for her. Uh, And, you know, it was cycle, I mean, like intellectually stimulating in in that she had to like learn dance steps, had to, I'm saying in the past, just she's still doing it. But Uh um, so she entered into a competition in August. And I mean, in the 90 and up category, there weren't many competitors. But she chances, huh? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But you know, she got very high scores, and she did great. And uh, and you know, more important than that, it's just that there's a picture of her where she's just beaming, like just full of this eros energy, just full of of life um, at ninety, and absolutely beautiful in that um, 
in that sort of feminine eminent you know this emanating yeah. of that life life energy so she's it's actually her her 90th was um a few months ago but we are actually having a 90th birthday party for her so all the family's coming and she's gonna dance for us um oh, I love yeah that. it's, it's gonna be awesome to watch her and we're gonna part of the party celebration is we're gonna ourselves learn some of these things <laughs> so that we can, you know, dance also, you know, the waltz and things. I mean, but she's going to be doing the rumba and the salsa and she's done all, you know, all kinds of things. And so it's, it's pretty cool um, to watch her do it. And, you know, it's kind of funny. She sent this video at the competition and she's wearing this, like, you know, I don't know if you've seen ballroom competitions, but yeah. the dresses are not usually that modest. <laughs> and so here's my mom. Right. And <laughs> She's got a slit up to the thigh. I'm like, Mom, all the modesty <laughs> lessons have gone out the window. <laughs> She's oh, like out there working it, but it was awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be so fun to see your mom in that. Oh, it's excellent. It's That's it just fills me up. And it also it's a great role model of like embracing life and and cherishing every moment that you get to be here and not living by fear and you know, she she never thinks like, oh, I'm 90. I mean, she never thinks like that. Uh, in fact, I sometimes tell people she's 90 because I'm proud of like yeah. how she's living. And you've done a lot of traveling with her too, haven't you? I mean yeah, at least some actually. I mean, not a ton. She's not, she was pretty um, bound to home for a while there. Um, when we grew up, there wasn't a lot of money. So we, we, never really did anything except to get in our station wagon and drive somewhere. And, um, but she came on the couples tour that, um, I did in April. So she was my plus one. And so she was able to come and see Italy and, and parts of France. And so it was, it was very fun to have her come along and meet some of the couples and just be a part of it. So that was, that was great. I feel like I heard you mention something about that trip and your mom made her impact. I can't remember how you, what you said yeah. or what the story was, but something about her, just her impact on some of the other. Yes. I think, so I think there was maybe a couple of ways that, you know, she, she was just there in in the group, but I think that there was a lot of women who said, you know, I want to be like your mom when I grow up. So I think they could sense her aliveness and her warmth and her kind of deep acceptance of other people, which I think is very much one of her strengths. Um, and so, you know, they, I shared with the group that she was learning to dance and people of course loved that. Uh, but it was also not just her, her kind of energy and um, warmth towards others. I think there's also, um, one day when we were in a castle in Parma, I I do more intensive work with the group. So that is where I'm meeting with half the group and people are sharing experiences if they want to, and I will work with a couple. So in that discussion, someone asked about um, faith crisis in her children. My dad went through a faith crisis and kind of how did she handle it? And so she just talked about um, that for her, she understood that her job was to love her husband, to love her children, and to not waver in that sense, and to trust them. And 
you know, she just spoke openly about how she understood it. And it made a lot of people cry, I think. And I, I'm not sure if I know entirely why, but I think a couple of people said to me afterwards that they longed for that in their parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, as I've heard, you know, over the years, you kind of weave in your mom into some of your experiences. I think that's the piece that I have found the most touching. And it's mm-hmm. also the piece I think I hear the most emotion when you're talking about her. Mm-hmm. is around that part of her, that ability to to love and prioritize love over mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. ideology. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you can share some stories that kind of, mm-hmm. maybe with your own, your mm-hmm. own experience with your mom and mm-hmm. challenges maybe that you've faced religiously and the way that she's responded to you. Yeah. Yeah, so... You know, I mean, so much of the work that I do is it has a lot to do actually with my mom in both positive and arguably negative ways. So that is to say that that my mother was so central to my life. She was this person that loved and accepted me and my siblings and um was really the safe space in my life, the kind of unconditional acceptance. And my dad was more outward, had more demand, right? had more of that kind of expectation. And, um, and so I could see this, like I could see how my mom could um, sort of shrink under that criticism and that faithful adherence to a role-based marriage and way of thinking about who she was and who men are and who God is. So as a perceptive child, I could see both her strengths and her capacity, but also a system that caused some pain. And um, also for my dad, actually, I was just more attuned to my mom's um, in that system. Also because I knew I was expected to emulate her life and I was afraid to. So, I mean, I can talk about that more if you want, but, but the larger point is that it put me into some, um, incongruity between the faith that I loved. And I think for me was very clear, taught me about a God that loved me and about the fact that my choices mattered and that I was known and cared about and, you know, there was so much there that enriched and my life and supported my sense of who I was and what mattered. And then also there was this, you know, as I learned about polygamy, as I was taught unapologetically about men's and women's roles and that etern- and that in the eternities it was polygamous. And I, I just, it felt wrong to me. It felt problematic. <laughs> like I just, I couldn't square it. And so it just put me into some struggle in the temple, which is now different. But back back then, there was this sort of overt deference that was just felt wrong on every level inside of me. There were, and, and so I was very grateful that I could, I didn't want to disappoint my mother by any stretch because so much of what she was offering to us was our faith. And so much of how she saw her role was to 
give us uh, the gospel, to give us that um, understanding and for us to live truth faithfully to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, I didn't, I didn't want to disappoint her. I didn't want, especially given that she'd given so much of her life to that endeavor, I didn't want to, in a sense, discredit so much of her life focus. And yet there were aspects that I couldn't accept with integrity. And so I knew on some level that my mother would would love me no matter what, because I'd seen her do this with other siblings who had left the church. Um, but I also didn't want to hurt her, you know, hurt her feelings, hurt her sense of self. So I just remember one time saying to her mom, I don't want to disappoint you. I don't want you to feel a sense of fear about me and my doubts and my questions. And, and she, you know, I was experiencing, Explaining to her, like, I can't accept these things, or these things are too difficult for me at this point in my life. And um, she just stopped me, actually, and said, Jennifer, this was before I was doing anything public. I, I was, you know, barely married. And, and, and she said, um, she just said, Jennifer, I, you don't need to explain yourself to me. She's like, I see what a wonderful human being you are. I see how you are earnest and care for others and have a positive impact on the people around you. And who am I to judge you around this? She's like, I trust your ability to figure out your own relationship to God, to figure out what's true. And I love you no matter what. So, you know, of course you can see why my devotion to Mormon women is so clear is because that kind of a response is like, why would I be in any way dismissive of my mom's faith, particularly if that faith promotes that kind of love? So that is to say, um, it allowed me the ability to both have critique and love, right? To love what the people that I'm that I want to also help, and and to love the ideology that I want to see evolve, right, into a truer into the truest form that's there for us. And so, um, so I think that, you know, she made that very easy. And I think she offers, you know, even siblings of mine who've left the church, no one's really left it. I mean, that is to say, because it was part of being loved and cared for, it's still in their souls. And so, you know, I had a brother who left the church for a period of time, had quite a bit of difficulty in his life. And after a really difficult period, it had been like 20 plus years that he had been completely gone and out. And he just decided to walk into a sacrament meeting one day, just sat in the back. And as the hymns played, he just sobbed, you know, <laughs> yeah, because it was so connected to his childhood, to his identity to being loved, to being cared about. And, um, so, you know, it's, um, when you, I can see why when some people feel that ideology is used to judge them, scrutinize them, condemn them, right. Why it's very easy to condemn in return. And, um, so my mom's gift, 
gave me another possibility. One time in a podcast, you talked about, I can't remember how you worded it, but you said something like we cheapen love when we make it something that's just common or just a part of Mm -hmm. us or that just happens. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of what you're saying there is like, it's not just something that's there. It's something that we have to work for. It's something that we have to develop. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, as you're talking about your mom, maybe someone could easily just say, oh, that's just, that's just her personality. But I think, I think to do so would be a little, mm-hmm. I think it would cheapen. be dismissive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be dismissive of your mm-hmm. mom. How do you think your mom became the person that she is? Like, have you noticed different things in her life that, played a role in her, you know, and where, who she is today, because I think it's yeah, very admirable. Well, it's a, it's a good question. And, um, you know, to talk about the roles that things have had, of course, is not this is, as you're saying, it's not to cheapen it. It's not to say, well, she had no choice. This is how she was just going to do it. But I think that she grew up in a farming, a small farming community in Shelley, Idaho, um, like the sixth of seven children, as she describes her life, she says, I was just another mouth to feed. So that is to say that this was during the depression years. I mean, there was so much stress on the family that she didn't get what I got, that sense of being cherished and, you know, a kind of mirroring of who you are. She didn't get that as much. And and it doesn't mean, I mean, I know that her parents loved her actually. And there was, it wasn't an abusive environment, but it was an environment in which she often felt lonely or alone or too much to on needing to fend for herself in her parents' efforts to uh, keep food on the table. And so I think my mom's always had a strong, two things actually, that both have a upside and a downside. I mean, I think that she um, had a strong sense of awareness of the vulnerable. Um, you know, I have a child who went through a period of depression and my mom was just really attuned to him. So much like awareness of how he's doing, caring about how he's how he was doing, you know, like it's sort of in her nature to to see the suffering and to want to do something about it if she can, because it's kind of a, maybe a way of responding to what she knows is the what it feels like to be in that place. Um, so I think that that is really there. I think similarly, she never, you know, sometimes when people have a lot of talents or they're the oldest in the family or something, in some sense, they get the benefit of people praising them, giving them, you know, a strong sense that what they do is really a big deal and is great and that they're great. But there's a real risk in that as well, because if you get too much upward pressure, you know, you can be really difficult to live with. <laughs> you can, you can, you know, be slow to apologize, you know, quick to think you've got the right idea. My yeah. mom's, you know, both gift and curse is that she was in this more one down position. And so, you know, I don't think it's in her nature to be like, well, I really know how God is and I hope you catch up some point. You know, she just doesn't <laughs> yeah, think like yeah. that. You know, she thinks more like, you know, she has been able to have faith very much in a God that knows and loves and values her. 
And I think she was able to offer that picture in the way she talked about God, right? But um, but I don't think she has the idea of like, I get how things go and I've got it all worked out. And and so I think there's a basic humility in there that's partly about a kind of humiliation that was part of her life as a younger person. So, you know, but also a kind of openness to understanding other people's point of view, you know, so understanding why someone may think differently, not taking it on herself to be the judge. Um, you know, my parents, my mom's always been a very healthy eater. And um, it, that's just sort of been like, just something in her DNA. She even as a young person cared very much about eating in a healthy way. It wasn't about weight. It was about nutrition and this sort of core yeah. belief that how you treat your body has a big impact on how you feel and who you are and all that. So I grew up eating like unusually healthy food and not all my friends knew not to come and eat at our house. You sleep <laughs> at the fives and you eat elsewhere. <laughs> so um, so when my mom, after my dad retired, my mom, we went to like a one weekend when I was in town visiting, we went to a farmer's market in Vermont and there was like nothing healthy there. It was just all, I don't know, like, you know, fried dough. Fried food. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those, the stuff is great, but not if you want to eat healthfully. <laughs> okay. So, you know, one of us said, mom, you should just sell some of the stuff you make. You should do it. So she did. She did do it. And uh, so my dad was there supporting her, but she started doing a stand at the farmer's market. And um, and so part of this is that she also started teaching classes to other people who wanted to do vegan food prep. And, and then she would do these potlucks. Well, it, it was just kind of amazing because, you know, she's there in, in liberal Burlington, Vermont. And, you know, there are people with tattoos coming up on motorcycles with their vegan dish, you know, lesbian couple coming up, you know, and my parents were just like, there's no judgment, like none. So here's like conservative Mormons from Idaho with like <laughs> the full spectrum of humans. Okay. Yeah. And, and I was like, this is the coolest thing on the planet. I love this about my parents, like that there really was this, they just could some, my dad also could just sort of see the humanity in other people um, and not use this idea of ideology and culture to kind of limit association with others. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a real blessing to see that modeled. She has a lot of friends. A lot of people love her. <laughs> yeah. I, she really does because they feel accepted by her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other stories where you've watched your mom either with siblings or with friends of hers mm -hmm. that kind of were impactful on you where you just, it really just shows her who she is, her ability to love and to accept. Well, one that comes to mind is that, you know, my, my mom had someone that she visit taught for many years and my mom was kind of the only person she would let come over to her house. And, she was a difficult person. Um, she was not somebody that was easy to like, because in some ways she was the opposite of my mother. She was judgmental, rigid, you know, demanding, entitled, you know, just kind of all those things. Right. And, um, 
But I, I just watched my mom, she died, you know, a few years ago. And it was really um, just seeing my mom um, care about this person that was difficult to love and um, just able to, you know, understood that she did these difficult things and could be difficult for people. But somehow my mom just was able to kind of hold on to her humanity um, and not judge her for the way that she had learned to cope with her life as other person and, and just not, I don't know. I'm not sure that I would have been so generous on it. In fact, I'm quite sure I would not have been. So it was really touching for me to just to be grateful for people like that who can care about people that almost work hard to make sure it's hard to care about them. And, you know, she just, you know, she just, um, just again, that sort of awareness of the humanity and the vulnerability of another person prevailed. Yeah. I also think, you know, this brother that I talked about that came back to the church, you know, he, you know, he, he made, I just want to kind of protect my siblings here a little bit, but you know, he made a series of poor choices, some very poor choices even. And, and, you know, my mom worried about him. You know, she was aware of the fact that these were choices that would work against him and his family. And, you know, it's not that she thought they were good choices. Okay. Or that the, that he was, it wasn't making his life difficult. So she was aware of all that and cared about that fact. But I'm sure if he were here, he would say that while he felt unlovable often, he knew that he was loved. Like he knew, he was very much the prodigal son story. You know, it's that he knew that that generosity was there for him. And, um, and so I think it made it much easier for him to choose to come back. He didn't have to make it about his pride. You know, it, it's not like he had to prove yeah. that this, that he was above it. It's like when he needed it, he stepped back towards it. Yeah, and he didn't have to worry about coming back and being like, I told you so. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, I barely know your mom, but I think what she's offering is truly like, it's such a gift mm -hmm. like this. And I love how you talk about the way that, I mean, her faith, I think it seems to really capture faith and religion at its best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because sometimes I think the way we use our faith and the way we approach our religion really can be destructive. Yes. Right. We don't do what Christ said, which is use it to love, you know, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we get that confused all the time that the big deal is the religion and reinforcing the ideology and, you know, doing what you should quote unquote, rather than, you know, all this structure is here for me to learn the hard work of caring about other human beings, not judging them in this kind of condemning ego reinforcing way but to actually care about other people who are in different life experiences to help us have the humility of knowing, like if I had been born into their body and experience, I'd probably be doing similar things. And so I'm not gonna, I'm gonna use my belief in God and a God that cares about what I do and 
to embrace the challenge of love, even when it stretches me, even when it's uncomfortable, to reach out to other human beings. And, um, and if your relationship to the divine helps you do it, right, that, that's the goal. Um, you know, a lot of us, and, you know, it's because we, it's, first of all, it's just very easy to do this as human beings. This is definitely natural man is like this idea that I am going to prove myself through compliance to this. I'm going to prove myself to other people's minds. I'm going to prove myself to my own mind to make sure I'm not inadequate and loathsome by like being imperfect. And so rather than these are sort of stepping stools or guardrails or guidelines to help me grow, we often be- make them the measure of one's soul. We make them the thing that, you know, a lot of people have sometimes said, you know, people don't serve God, God serves them. That mm-hmm. is, they use their faith to get status, to push themselves up, to condemn others, to make themselves, you know, to get control over their children or their spouse. And, you know, that's evil in the name yeah. of good. I wonder, I, when you were talking about, was it Italy that you were with, with mm-hmm. your mom? Mm-hmm. And uh, just the the emotional response that was happening with some of mm-hmm. the people I was, she's talking and, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, even for me, I'm having this emotional response as you talk about your mom. I think that even if, you're not able to articulate it. There's something there that people can feel. Well, it's that mm-hmm. that love and that acceptance that I think mm-hmm. is truly a gift to be able to have a relationship with someone like that. Mm-hmm. But also, as I listen to you talk about her, I think, man, I would love to just like that's that's the type of person I also want mm-hmm. to be yes. in my relationships with others. Like that's how I want to respond to others too. Exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, I was working with a couple several years ago, and her husband was losing his faith in the church. And this was really hard on his wife. And she was just in this kind of judgmental harshness towards him, not because she thought that he was being dishonest or lacked integrity in his way of thinking. It's just that it wasn't what she wanted. She, it, it made her question if she'd be fully accepted by her own family. And so I, I, and she wasn't relenting on her position. And so I started to ask her about her own family of origin. And she talked about the fact that her mom, that her brother had left the church and that her mom had been very hard on this brother, had been very rejecting of him, judgmental, you know, I'm sure because yeah. it scared the mother, I'm sure because she it made her feel like a failure. I, I'm sure there was many reasons why this felt intuitive to do this. Um, so, but as a sister watching her brother go through this, she she really didn't like that her mother was doing this to her brother. It's also what she feared if she were to understand her husband more is that she may face the same kind of critique and judgment. But she started to become uncomfortable with the fact that she was doing with her husband what her mother had done with her brother. And 
I told her the story of my mom in the session and she cried <laughs> because she was like, that's what I wanted. That's what I've wanted. And it's who I want to be. And it shifted everything in the relationship for her because she just said, you know, that's, that's the way I want to relate to faith and to others. What I think my mom demonstrates is her true faith in love of others. And our belief in God is demonstrated in our behaviors. How much faith we actually have in the good is demonstrated in our willingness to conform to it, even when it stretches us, even when it asks a lot of us. It's one thing for me to get on podcasts and talk about what it is to do good and be good. It's another thing to do it. You know? <laughs> it's another thing when yeah. you're frustrated or annoyed <laughs> or you think someone's being indulgent and unfair or whatever, to still not let yourself be indulgent and unfair and to push yourself to a higher expectation. When you live in a loving way, you really do push others to bring their better self to the table. I think one reason why it's so valuable maybe to talk about your mom and have this on a podcast, I think, you know, the way we respond, like the lesser immature way, I guess you could respond. It's just, it's just easier. Yes, you don't it is. Think about it. It's like, so I, I find yeah. it very powerful to be able to see a different way, like to be able to see it in action, to be able to see it yeah. demonstrated. It, it just gives you like, there's another yes. way I could respond. Yes, exactly. Yes. No question. That's right. I've, I've told this before, but I remember when um, this brother of mine was like going through a faith crisis. Oh, he was reading you know, some of the few church history books out there, and he was really struggling with it. And I was a freshman at BYU at the time, and we got together, and needless to say, he was stressing me out, you know, like, I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're reading, but I don't want to know anything about it. And, yeah. um, and, you know, oh. I just remember, like, every cell of my body was like, stay away from him. That That is, yeah. he's a threat to my sense of reality. He's a threat to my standing in this community that I love. He's a threat to, meaning if I were to identify with any of his disbelief, it could threaten my belonging. Yeah. And, and so I just had such a visceral like desire to distance, right? Um, and let him struggle on his own. And you know, I just remember like praying about that and just having the clear sense that it was cowardly and it was faithless of me, actually, that, you know, if I had real faith that I could love and know my brother and what is true could withstand, you know, th th that what is true would emerge. And if I love him, um, that the good will prevail. Well, what I'm saying is that the desire to reject, and I still do, I mean, I'm not I, I want to be clear, like, I'm in development like all of us here. I, I fail at love. It, it is very easy to justify ourselves. Um, so I get why we do what we do as human beings, because we're scared, because we want more security than we often have. And so our efforts to find it, sometimes in ways that literally damn our progression, certainly makes sense. So it's actually when people don't do it that brings me to tears. It's when people will resist their fear and show courage and be honest. I mean, we just got back from another couple's tour in Spain and I was 
you know, I, I'm in this awesome position of being able to teach people and help them see themselves. And sometimes they will come back, you know, and say, I wanted to do this, but I could see, you know, the darkness in it. I could see that it wasn't fair and I didn't do this. And then this good thing happened. And, you know, you, you watch the courage and the way it moves the couple, right? And it just makes me cry because it gives me hope. Um, because when you live in that way, you get to find a kind of deep order in reality. But it's unintuitive and we are easy to resist it. Um, but as you say, Sheree, like just watching my mom do this at points in her life, it was part of my moral intuition with my brother, you know, that I can't pull this off in my mind. It feels wrong. And so it was a way of me, you know, confronting myself and my own desire to um, not love in the name of righteousness. Yeah. Jennifer, thank you. I think she's remarkable. Yeah. Thanks, Sheree. It was fun to talk about her. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.